0: Didn't you match her on, um, on Raya?
1: <laughs> no, I mean,
0: that's...
2: Dom just <laughs> hotting done up straight yeah, away, we're yeah. Up. We're going <laughs> to see his
1: face, man. We're going to put the break in on there. <laughs> <laughs> so... Do you think I'd be here if I'd matched here? No, because <laughs> yeah, I know what you're like. You
0: would have gone past a first date, mate. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, all right. the, oh, look nice. just
3: airing people's oh.
0: business. Wow. I told you, Teddy Brookshop, man. That's good
1: yeah. today. Uh-huh. <laughs> For £5, pounds, you can buy the extras from this podcast.
3: <laughs> um.
1: So so so, we're back at outset in the studio, but a new studio this week. Um, so big shout out to all Amanda, And we are here with with an all star cast, an array of people. Uh, we're going to start on the screens. We'll start on the screens, we've got Black Boris. How are Hi, you? What's
3: up? Yeah, good man. Good. Just I just finished recording. That's why I look like a consultant.
1: Man's looking crisp. Man's looking crisp. Don't listen to him. Looking like a consultant. I've never turned up to work
0: looking like that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Can't
3: carry the look off. That's why.
0: Oh. You don't need to when you get to my level, fam. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow!
1: So much energy in the studio, isn't it? So much vim, Nate. How are you? Yeah, in
2: the good northeast? man. Just, um, yeah, just preparing for whatever madness the rest of the year holds. But yeah, steady grinding away, enjoying myself.
1: Fantastic. Looking forward to editing your breathing out again, ever. trust
2: yo if anyone has a good like sleep doctor and want to pay for it get in touch sleep
0: apnea
1: yeah man the (laughs) sinuses are in tatters (laughs) (laughs) the reverb on on his stem is a madness and then in the studio we've got don
0: yes yes how we doing man i'm good good Good. have you You... noticed i'm matching the decor in here as well i was
1: gonna say you're looking well you're looking well Uh it's just you know it's looking fresh my guy and guest we've got
4: neve going on thank Mm. you for having me
1: mate I'm I'm glad you've been able to come because um obviously we met when I had my other hat on and I interviewed you on IG live for our series about black creators and black creatives just interviewed you about storytelling a few weeks ago and I thought you know we'll be able to get him on I had a really good chat and then kind of popped off didn't you (laughs) (laughs) one popped off friend friend to the adenugas (laughs) the freedom of the villages in Nigeria yeah, I mean, I suppose it's good to sort of open up and talk a bit about that, man. What, what was that like?
4: Yeah, that was a yeah very interesting experience to interview. Yeah, I guess, like, a lot of people growing up have probably been aware of them, especially, like, if you grew up in an like African household. But not even just that, I think just through, like, their individual impact on the UK music, like Skepta Jamie, obviously, Julie, and then their other brother who kind of works in the, in the background. You've kind of seen their work everywhere, and, and like, as they've grown over the past, like, decade and more so then to actually yeah to sit down with them as a family with mum and dad included yeah it was definitely a bit surreal it was very interesting because like usually with interviews you kind of go in there on a level but then when they've got like their mum and dad turn up in like regal like traditional mm. nigerian dress i'm like say like hello uncle hello auntie it's like i'm not used to saying that in an interview it's usually just like you just turn up and just like you're out yeah. there kind of thing but um it was definitely an in very interesting experience, very good experience there, and a kind of a memorable one as well. It's interesting to see like how they interact with each other as a family and where they mm. put on, where they get certain bits of their creativity from and their personality from.
1: Yeah, so like, yeah, it's, it's a funny one because everyone's sort of everyone's always known about the family. Like you have seen Sketch and Jamie, and then Julie came through, and they always like you mentioned. Brother Jason, he's talked about a lot and been on the album covers as well. So, but it's a you know it's a whole different thing to actually see them see them in person. Did you feel underdressed? You didn't have the kento. <laughs> to be you? fair, Jamie he came
4: in shorts like uh, every you know, time, every, always in shorts. He came in shorts. <laughs> mm. Skepta came in a um, tracksuit, and I think Julie came in the same, but then got changed. And Jason came in the tracksuit. I
1: was like, okay, like I'm yeah. alright. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too <laughs> out of place. <laughs> yeah. But you, yeah, you didn't get changed, but um. That's fine. I'm sure sure they didn't feel disrespected.
0: Jamie said that they got the creativity from their mum, right?
1: I think he said they got it from,
4: uh, I think their dad, like he was like Mm. a DJ and stuff. And then he'd just like build stuff in the house. And then I think like their personality of them being like so like quite original to themselves, I think they got from their mum. Mm. And you could definitely tell that when they were there, like their dad was was, like quite quiet. Yeah, yeah, the dad was quite quiet and didn't say much, and then the mummy, yeah, you can tell
0: like she's very expressive. A big personality, yeah, so you can tell. We saw on the stage at the award, show. which award was it? Yeah, I
1: think was it the Mercury. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was big. I loved that.
1: And it's it's sort of it's good to have you here. The main, main reason we got you is because this sort of this Black History Month special is about the arts, and you know you spend so much of your time sort of interviewing artists, particularly in music, and as a storyteller yourself, got a book coming out you want to just quickly, you know, just just jab that one in? <laughs> yeah, and no, I've got a
4: book coming out in 2022 called Where We Come From, which will be kind of like exploring uh, the impact British rappers having on different communities across the UK. Um, and that's why I always found like your, yeah, like your work and even your podcasts are very interesting because I think it's like, it's always interesting to hear from like different, I think the narrative you probably hear when it comes to like black voices in the UK is definitely very like London focused. And I think um, even from just the chats we had before, it was always interesting to see um, stories that don't come from London. And I think that's just as important. So yeah, thank you for having me.
1: No problem. It's, uh, I think I'll just pass over to, to Angelo here. It's interesting, Angelo, when you went on Kofi's radio show, you went on alongside the the gentleman from Leeds and you'd be done the show on BBC Sounds where you're gonna have to help me out here because I've got an absolute mind blank <laughs> about it.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, so I am, um I did a show with a, a Hull-based musician called uh, Cheda Araka, a really fantastic uh, musician. And we were talking about black masculinity and especially kind of how that kind of is portrayed in music. And one of the interesting things that he said was if he leaned into these more London-centric stereotypes, that he'd be a lot more famous than he was. And I found it difficult to deny it, but he his whole thing is he wants to be known as like a Yorkshire rapper and kind of it's a it's a much more difficult road to furrow and I actually did have uh, a question for you Niamh. Um I've been reading for a load of your stuff over the last few days and you often talk about the black community and you talk about the diaspora as well and I was just wondering it, I, I, I often get this sense when I was reading your work that you kind of struggled with this how to communicate black identities and i just wondered what for you is the difference between the community and the diaspora as you see it in britain
4: yeah no that's interesting because i think with a lot of the work especially when it comes to like places like the guardian and stuff you're essentially like trying to communicate what like very broad ideas and you're trying to put them in like very a like quite a, a thousand words a thousand five hundred words and just like trying to yeah communicate these really broad themes and these really nuanced things that we all have an awareness of and then you're trying to communicate it to an audience that have like no awareness of it at all and i think that's always been like uh the interesting way to go and you don't want to be too broad in saying like black people are a monolith in the uk essentially but then you also want to give an insight into like what are some of the thoughts and feelings that exist within the different black communities in the uk and i think yeah that's been a it's been an interesting um thing to do because i think what I've realised is that, A, like a lot of people, when you see like a lot of the feedback from people who aren't black, you see a lot of people don't even realise that there is such a thing as like a black community, I think, and don't realise like how race will tie, when you're in a place where you are a minority, like race will be a, can be a tether between two people who I haven't met before. And I think that's been something I've really interestingly found out. But in terms of like the diaspora, I think, um, the way I kind of see it now is I think like the black community as a whole, is made up of loads of small black communities that eventually feed into like a wider thing, if that makes sense. So I think you'll have like a black community in, I don't know, Peckham, you'll have a black community somewhere. In Manchester, you'll have a black community in Cardiff. And then um, amongst those different communities, you'll see there are certain themes that tie them together, wherever it be like nationality, identity, um, like second generation, first generation, music taste, food taste, and all of those things. And I think those then feed into a wider, kind of into a wider thing, which, which is why I think like, you can go I've like kind of interviewed people in Birmingham or Manchester or Cardiff or who haven't met before but who are black, and it's like we instantly have a sense of relatability just because of that just because we have like some shared uh common experiences, and I think it's like trying to express like what those common experiences are is like kind of where kind of the groove that I find my work in, especially as of late anyway uh, the past mm. year or so,
3: yeah, you had that great um line in the article that you wrote about no signal where you said uh by threading these wider elements into the station, no signal display the variety in the black British experience, hosting the niche conversations and community wide issues in this country and weaving black identities together like willow baskets. And I just thought that was such a kind of, first of all, like ridiculously strong pen. It's phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely phenomenal. Second of all, like that idea that it's weaving something that is stronger together. Um, Because I kind of linked it to what um, Chiwetel Ejiofor said to you, where he said, uh, I didn't understand community when I was growing up in South London, apart from the theatre. It was the only communal activity I was engaged with. And I felt a real strong sense of that, because one of the things that we talked about when we first started this was, you know, how do you kind of feel part of a black community when you're not in an area where there is a large black community? Mm -hmm. So I just thought that that way that you kind of, you know, Put it together. There really kind of spoke to me. So yeah, hold tight. Yeah,
2: and, and I think <laughs> like that's very much you know being based in the northeast in Newcastle. Um, it's actually mad how many kind of you know black people I meet, and they're so surprised that there is such a uh, certainly a representation up here in obviously the nightlife aspects and everything else that they just didn't you know that's their main way of seeing it. When someone comes to the city for a weekend, they're like, wait a minute, what? There's there's other black people. Um, bro, so, you know yeah. that
0: only started about ten years ago. Yo, I know, bro. I, <laughs> I was see when you started Newcastle started up in no Newcastle. There were
2: no no other one. People there. We was why we would have oh, yeah. there was
0: about five of us man.
2: Yo, I, yo, I'm still yo, shout out Eugene, innit? He's why are me and Eugene friends. Came to Uni at the same time, was in the clubs, made the nod once or twice, got chatting, mm-hmm. there you go, innit? So definitely definitely can relate to that.
0: Social media as well in this is massive though, because I mean for me personally. Growing up where, where we did grow up, not many black people around. And the community that you find on social media, and again, it's through music, through comedy a lot of the time as well. Because I think no matter where you are from, a lot of the time our jokes, they seem to stem from our family. And our sense of humour comes from our family. So we do have really similar ways of communicating in that, in that kind of form. So I think social media for me, I feel much more engaged with the black community in inverted commas now because of how engaged I am on social media
4: yeah no, i'd I'd really agree with that I think, um, even like with a lot of my work now, I feel like I've met so many people just through social media, and then to the point where, um as you say like I think it's like a great place for people to like display their cultures in a certain way, even if it is through comedy or through music or through them kind of things, and then, then you really do see like the commonalities from that. I'm seeing like the one, I'm noticing like the black Irish community in Dublin now, like really like that's another example of it. They're like, like really pushing through. Like you obviously had like Yuande and like Love Island. Whoever watches Love Island here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or watched it. But you know like, who Yuande is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, and even seeing like, yeah, they're kind of, I've noticed like how like bold they are and like proud they are about like the nuances of their identity and stuff. So I really mm-hmm. agree. I think like such a, like a great meeting ground for people yeah. where you may not have had that access like a decade ago or a decade mm-hmm. and a half ago.
1: Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to take this back to the top. You know, it is Black History Month, and I think in talking about the arts, it's something which has cropped up certainly in the conversation we had is how how people, how brands, how society, how we can support Black artists in 2020, and what does that look like? And I mean, it's it's interesting. At the beginning of the year, you have talked in different ways, maybe in terms of. It would have been just ticket sales. It would have been that kind of thing. Whereas now, it's support has taken on an entirely sort of different meaning. And what does championing a black artist mean in at the end of 2020, it's, as opposed to what it meant in the beginning of 2020, is, is, is very different. So for me, I, I like I say, I work in marketing. It's I always look at any opportunity possible to give an opportunity to to use the platform that we've got as a brand to... To allow them to channel their creativity as they see fit on the last podcast we talked about how you shouldn't necessarily just just hiring someone and then getting them to do something which isn't necessarily them isn't necessarily helpful to them at all other than giving them a bit of cash but in the long term is going to harm them and and also the people that come after them because you see this i, I don't know who watched the um i say black british and funny was a great example that's a black as, Black comedians they get you get one chance, and then you can say, "You know well, I let this I, I gave this person a go, and no one's coming then after them, so that's why you've got to be extra careful if you are receptive and you're you are trying to you're trying to grow a platform where black artists are welcome and they feel welcome. It's important to give them support outside of that sort of initial. Here you go, here's the bag, you run with it um yeah, so I'm, I'm going to again pass it to you pass it to you angelo um as again as, as someone who who you've mentioned previously that <laughs> it's funny covid's actually the 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 kind of petri dish in which you sort of flourished you know from from pretty much nowhere to a point where it's you know it's you're sort of chasing that creativity so yeah, sorry just yeah so just wanted to sort of tell tell me what it means to you to to support black artists at this moment
3: so we often in our group chats which at some point we're going to have to kind of monetize because that's you know that's where the real shots are fired but we often talk about securing the bag and the reality is i i wrote an article um for Exigent magazine where we um where i was asked to kind of look at how the government had supported the arts and it was after you know the article resurfaced where you know Matt Hancock had talked about his love of grime music and the point that I made in the article was that this government loves to virtue signal, but every single one of their policies, um, is ruinous to people in the arts. So you can say that you love grime. Well, grime kind of comes out of working class black areas in London. And if you go to those areas, the hubs of creativity, the libraries, the youth centers, the sports clubs have have been shuttered. Um, so support has to for those of them for those of in power, it has to be financial, but aligned with that financial, it has to be creative control as well. So if you look at somebody like a Mo Gilligan, if you look at somebody like a Munya, they have shown that they are funny when they have creative control. When they're putting their content out, it's funny on their terms. So what you can't do is hire them. And then put your creative people on it. Because it's like you're going to lose that authenticity. You can work alongside them. But you've got to give them final creative control. And you know. I definitely. I have looked at a lot of the stuff that Meunier done. He's Sheffield alum as well. And with the advertising stuff that he's done. It's so clear the times when he's been. He's had creative control. And when he hasn't. Because when he hasn't. It hasn't really worked. Um, and I think that during COVID, I think there is this element of doing the work. So you've got to seek out the businesses. Um, I remember our friend, our mutual friend, Kofi kind of, um, he saw that there was a, Kofi is like myself, he's vegan. Um, and a guy reached out to him in Luton. who was trying to get off a um, vegan bakery business uh, off the ground. Um, young kid, I think 17. Um, and so Kofi drove down to Luton and I ordered a, a whole heap of stuff for this from this guy, which that guy was able to then use to kind of like inject it back into the business. And he's got a small but successful business. Now, that seems like a lot of work in the era of kind of justy, and, you know, doorstop deliveries. But um, in the area where I live, for example, I make a specific effort to go to the local shops because I can't complain if they're not there because they go under because I was going to a Subway or to a McDonald's or to one of the big companies. So if you're going to support black businesses, put your money where your mouth is and to those people that are in positions of power and positions of hiring and influence, if you're kind of hiring us because you've seen us be successful uh, putting our stuff out, give us the creative control as well. And I think if you kind of combine those two things, you'll see it. But again... Um, I want to kind of bring it back to something that Nefra. I think you wrote this one in uh, Vogue. And you said... Um, it was about... It was when you're talking about record labels. Um, it was after the murder of George Floyd. Um, you said, It's time for record labels to proceed with purpose. The industry needs to hire more black black people. And then you, you made the point to say, With parity of pay too. And then a little bit later, You made what i think is the key point don't limit them to working only across black music when the time comes promote them into positions of power i if i get hired for a piece i should be hired because i'm good not because i'm black and good like as as i always kind of joke like my my degree is in english literature my specialism is 19th century victorian britain um but yet still when i was at university i was constantly invited onto panels that discussed blackness and I would see the panels about 19th century Victorian Britain and would never get an invite, even though that was where I was trying to make my name. Um, if, you're, if your only role on a, um, on a board uh, that has a person of colour on it is your diversity and inclusion officer, you completely kneecap them. You completely kneecap them. So not only must you kind of hire people, you've got to kind of let them you know, see what they want to do and then help them achieve it. That's what a good company does is kind of say, where do you want to be in three years? How can we help you get there? So put your money where your mouth is. Hire black creatives because they're good um, and then don't kind of stick them into a box where they just have to do quote-unquote black things.
1: Hit the commissions. Hit the commissions in these days when um, things n- can't necessarily be published or things can't necessarily be created because circumstances don't allow to get these guys commissioned if you can support them get them commissions um nate you work for probably the least diverse company of us all it's just well, you
2: yeah yeah <laughs> and, um, no i think it speaks to you know i like to make life hard for myself right so i spent two years in academia <laughs> yeah and then you know now i work in tech and you know it's it's so crazy for me because I see so much um, talent in my peers in Newcastle, you know, I'm surrounded by DJs creatives, photographers, videographers but then when I step into the industry, there's not that reflection um, for whatever reason obviously it's down to, a big part of it is down to population Um, there is not that many of us up here, Um, but also I think it speaks to uh, like for example when I see messaging from the region there, you know in my opinion there is a a certain lack of authenticity to when there is a black face involved or when there is, you know, uh, when a black person is elevated it's like, I don't know, it doesn't seem to to hold the legs and, and I guess that's where, kind of building on what Angelo said you know, you can spend the money you can invest in it, you can commission the people you can get them in, but you know, we're talking about establishing uh, like roots for growth and roots to, to, to become you know part of institutions and to be part of what fundamentally directs them and i think that's the big difference is we're kind of getting the people in the roles specific to diversity or insert black topic here but i think you know we need to start getting those people in in the deci- in the rooms where decisions are made absent of blackness right like it's not you're not there because you're black you're there because yeah angelo you're a bad boy victorian you know scholar you know dumb you're a management consultant. That's all I can say in it. That's right, all, no you know what what I mean? I <laughs> in it, you know, I'm, I work in, I work in tech, I work in design. I do that. And you know, the reason they want me is because of my particular philosophy around user research, for example, like, but I think it's just a, it's a progression, right? Um, and I think on the flip side is, you know, how can we help black artists? I do as much as I can. You know, if, if it's, I've had this, uh this guy, you know, DMing me on Insta, don't really know him from Adam. Just asking little questions here and there. And yeah, I don't answer every time. I don't give him the, the the full answer. I can give every time, but I give him something, right? And I think that's how... One thing that I think is synonymous with the Black British experience is we're all in it together, right? Like, you will help someone out. Like, you will do them a favour um, because we know how important those favours have been to us, you know, on our steps of the journey.
1: Absolutely. And what I feel has been fantastic, especially the last six months, is just how much... And how much it means to people when you like you when you share something, when you see something and you pass it on. When you talk to someone and someone, you know, puts you onto someone else and you pass that on. It means like if if someone's slaving away in the darkness, if you can just turn a light on for a second, I think that really sort of gives them a bit of sort of encouragement to, you know, like they are going on in the right direction. And know we've started doing sort of weekly shout outs two or three times a week. Different people, different businesses, just shining light on different members of the black community, large and small, young and old, just, you know, to sort of give our show our appreciation. And I feel it's, you know, it's fulfilling for us to do that. Hopefully one day someone will do it back to us. Um, we've got Neve now and, you know, he's been kind enough to come on the platform. It's much bigger than this platform currently. But I think just, you know, create, creating that world, creating that sort of sharing economy where within the arts, where
0: everyone is sort of amplifying each other is, is the future. Yeah, and I think on that as well, we've often, everyone talks about nepotism and kind of scoffs at nepotism in the business world, for instance. The CEO's son got this internship because of who he is. For me, I want to see more of that in the black community, not just with CEOs of companies, obviously, within arts, within music, bring your man along, because we can learn together and we can grow together. And that's how the community goes places. And that's what I want to see now, for instance, my little brothers at university. I'm no longer at Deloitte, but if I can do something to try and help him get somewhere within that industry by starting a conversation with one person here, starting a conversation with somebody else there, that kind of conversation can take someone to a completely different place. Whereas previously, it would have been a case of, right, I'm going to knock on all these doors and I'm probably going to get a no. But we've got to start bringing people through with us on this journey now, because that's how a lot of other people have got to where they are. It's our turn.
3: I don't know if you've seen the um, film Fences with uh, Denzel. And, Wicked uh, film.
0: Viola. But
3: th- that scene with Denzel and his son, where he's kind of like, my job isn't to love you, it's to kind of you know put food on the table. That is such a toxic mindset that I think has too often been um, a story that I've heard from many people in black communities where it's like, Kind of, i brought you into this world i fed you now the world doesn't give you anything so go out and make it and yet having worked in uh, independent schools for the last 8 years uh, it's the complete opposite thing it's parents will you know start their kids in the company and yeah they'll have to work hard but it's it's easy to work hard when you know that you're like simba and the lion king and you know all this shit going to be yours <laughs> as soon as you're old enough um So, yeah, definitely, I completely support that, Nate, and I do think that there's a process of unlearning that needs to happen when it comes to uh, this idea of nepotism. And even the the word nepotism has a negative connotation. It's kind of providing uh, and and provision for family and those around you, which I don't think in and of itself is a bad thing, Um, as, as long as when you get into a position of influence, Uh, when you are hiring, you're hiring for culture ad, not culture fit. Because if it's just culture fit, then your company's only going to ever have people that think like you. And, you know, that should be, in a capitalist society, death to your company. um, Because your ideas will quickly become outdated. But yeah, uh, I'm 100% behind kind of just killing this idea that nepotism uh, is in and of itself a bad thing.
0: I think as well, so I just note before you go in there, there's other unlearning that needs to be done here as well because I look at this in terms of bringing other people through, um, bringing family, friends, other people that you might not even know that you just like their creativity um, through and helping them on their journey. I think it might be a generational thing where for instance a restaurant opens, my family don't want to go all of a sudden because there's too many black people there now and there has always been this situation and it's it is dying out now and I want to see much much less of it where you kind of want to be the first black person to do this. You want to be the first black person that's going to Croatia. You want to be the first black person that's going on holiday to this place. And as soon as more start to come, it's like, well, I've got to find the next place now. I'm going to be the first black person in Saint-Tropez. That is another kind of mental barrier that a lot of people need to get past. It's like, no, this isn't a sign that this place is no longer something to be, something to to aim towards. It's now, well, look how well we're all doing. We can all be here. We can all be enjoying this. Let's go and take over Saint-Tropez. So I think that is something else that we do need to consciously unlearn.
3: Neef, can I ask you uh, another question? Because obviously you're in the creative arts. Um, Dan, in a way you're in the creative arts, I'm in the creative arts as well. But Neef, do you ever feel like when you get- In a a way. You know what I mean? Um, No, look, you don't need me to tell you how great I think your pen is as well, Dan, like kind of, stop stop (laughs) fishing for compliments. It's just nice to hear, bro. (laughs) Um, but no, my question is, do you ever feel that kind of, A, a pressure when you get a, a commission that, you know, if I, do a, if I do a bad job, it might close doors for other black people? And B, do you ever feel like um, when you get a commission that you've got it and that means that another black person in the creative arts hasn't got it because of the paucity of roles? Or do you feel that there is that by blazing a trail, you're creating more opportunity?
4: Yeah, I definitely think that, um, one thing I've noticed is that when somebody does well, when another black person does well, say if it's in journalism or literature or publishing or something like that, does tend to open doors because I think there's a lot of myths that exist um, in those industries that have been traditionally like very white, very middle-class is that A, there's not an audience for, there's not a black audience that's willing to like consume this, these kind of uh, either books, articles and that kind of thing. And um, there aren't writers out there that can do it and that these ideas aren't necessarily palatable to like a wider conversation. So one thing I notice is that when, say, somebody does really well, I notice that, um, say like if a book does really well or something like that, like uh, I know Candice, Carty Williams, she published Queenie. And I know like off of the back of that, it kind of wakes people's eyes up to like, yeah, there are a multitude of black stories to be told and there's a, like a multitude of people who are hungry to read and consume them. So I think that does help. Uh, I think in my work, I've always like been quite conscious to not be defined or not to, yeah, to not be defined and to make sure I bring more to the conversation than um, like racism, because I know that happens in journalism a lot is where a lot of black writers will only be called to, to a specific publication or to um, be invited to write for them when it is, the conversation is about racism in some way and although like racism is like a big part of like a lot of our lives it's like not the only thing that we experience like as black people in this country so i think that's always like something that's on my mind is to make sure that i'm trying to show like i guess like the many different shades that we exist in and that i like experience isn't just defined by like this one thing um and I've, that's but that is something i've noticed is that you can have like you'll see tons of think pieces from like i guess white writers about the most random subjects under the sun and it's like yeah black people can write about all of those subjects too. we don't just have to write about kind of like pain and all of these kind of things um and i think that's something that i'd like to see change i think it's changing slowly but i think um yeah i think a lot of it is just ignorance uh, on a lot of the editors parts like they may have like good intentions but just unaware of how um yeah like how we exist as people it's not just this one this one thing that we experience, So I think that's something that would be good to see change. And I think like more black editors and more uh, people in those spaces will help. Uh, yeah. That's, I think that's a big help.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see uh, Balu Babalola, Bab- oh, Balu Babalola, and I was following on Twitter and she recently released a book uh, about black love and she sort of tweets quite, some very funny things about rom but she's just had a a, a book released about a bunch of stories about black love from across the diaspora so I'm interested to see now well I'm hoping we see sort of some of these stories open up as opposed to you know these stories which might involve some exotic black person who comes in as this sort of figure of mystery but real stories among black people that happen to real people so hopefully we'll see that Um, I just wanted to say she's just taking a drink now Alana has dropped in better late than never Cooper, she made it. how are you
5: I'm very good I'm very good thank you uh thank you for your patience I'm sorry I couldn't be here from the beginning I was at a dance class yeah so that's my that's my lifeline right now I do it once a week yeah the, the dance is is uh, a priority at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, I am sorry that I that I couldn't be here from the beginning, but I'm glad I'm here now.
1: It's fine. I mean, you, you are doing what you can to support black artists and we are doing what we can to support your black
3: artistry. So.
5: Thank you. Thank you. Done. Good to have it. I the mean, video goes up this week. I'll, uh, you can support me and share it. <laughs>
3: Dan, one of the things I wanted to say is I was thinking about this idea of transcending blackness, where people aren't even considered black first, and there's a part of me that feels like we've gone backwards, because I, I went on a Prince marathon uh, the other day, like just I love I Prince's music, I always love Prince's music, and I was thinking, do you know what, Prince was never considered a quote-unquote black artist, and I don't know if it's because of the outfits or because of the style of music, but this is a guy that just you know in the 80s there was it was was is it michael jackson or is it prince and it wasn't for the best black artist it was for the best musician of the decade um and i feel like he really transcended blackness and i feel that i don't know it doesn't feel like there's many artists nowadays that do that and i was just wondering have we have we actually gone backwards on this and also if we have gone backwards is it a bad thing if we're kind of recognizing a person's blackness? I don't know. It was just a it was a thought that I had that I wanted to share with the group.
2: It's really interesting for me because, like Neef, I'm a huge grime fan. So, you know, I've seen that you've done work with SBTV, and you know, you've been you've been part of of that process. And I think what I learned from from that experience. Um, so, not to really disagree with you, because I think you are right, Angelo, but. I think what we've seen certainly in the uk is this more regional like explosion like i can listen to i was always listening to to kind of birmingham um grime you know Desper, stay fresh crew all that stuff but now you know like you say there's guys in ireland in dublin um obviously i'm from bradford we had Luna lunacy who like blew up mm-hmm. out of nowhere on youtube doing battle rap um so i think as much as i think you're right um, i think what we're seeing certainly from kind of uh UK music is now actually regionally you know you've got artists from Manchester like H who could not sound more Manchester you know if you tried um you know down to Birmingham down to London I'm sure there's some Scottish grime artists that will pop up on a one extra mix soon enough um, There was one on that
0: um that that show that was on BBC last year and it was pretty decent Ransom yeah 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 that was yeah, it yeah. that was it he's good
2: Yeah yeah so yeah I think for me it's like it's it's we haven't gone backwards I think we're actually just establishing more honest narratives. Um, and Neef, I think it'd be really interesting to get your point of view because obviously, like I say, heavily London-focused. But you know, has your work taken you to other places in the UK, and and what have you seen of that?
4: Yeah, I think that was something I was always like quite conscious of. Is like I wanted to see what was going on outside of um, London specifically, and I think even because I'm from Bromley, which is um, when people think of London, you don't think of Bromley essentially. So I feel like I always had that kind of tension of looking on from the outside in, in a way. So I was always like kind of aware that, yeah, this is, London's not the hub of what's going on. So like, thankfully yeah, I've got to travel to different places um, and done like interviews with like JK and Desper up in Birmingham or like Bugsy. I spent a day in Manchester with Bugsy for Vice. And it was just really interesting to see like how uh, culturally relevant a lot of these artists are in their hometowns, and how that can get missed in London. I remember walking through Manchester with Bugsy Malone and seeing like how people would treat him like a like a god. Essentially, people like bring their mothers out of their house to like come and meet him, and like their kids to like come and take pictures with him. And I think a lot of people were when I'd go back home. I think a lot of people were just unaware of like this is the impact he's having outside of just like the music he's presenting. Like he's really helping shift mindsets up there. And I think, yeah, I think the more of those stories we see, it's like, I think it's the better. Because I think before something becomes normal, I think people have to recognise that there's like been an absence of it. And I think when we see with like a lot of the regional stuff, but it's also a lot of like, I guess, the black British narratives that are coming to the forefront at the moment. I think like that establishment that this has been absent from, I guess, UK music um, on a mainstream level as well. Um, I think it's like important to kind of acknowledge that. And I think one thing I've also realised is that a lot of us, I think we don't realise like how, like the quirks we have with our own like upbringing and stuff like that um, and how like valuable that can be. I remember I wrote an essay about J House last year, this time last year it was about, and it was about basically like growing up as like a second generation British African in, in London, um, but I guess across the UK more widely. And I was just talking about like house uh, hall parties and all these things that I just experienced as normal, Um, but didn't really think anything of it. And then it was so interesting to get the feedback from like a lot of white people who read it were like, oh, wow, like this is fascinating. I'd never put these two and two together for his music. I'd never knew this was a thing that goes on. And it was like really interesting. It's like, yeah, this was just my day to day life. I wasn't trying to glamorize it anyway. But then you kind of forget because you live through something on a day to day that those little things that you have actually are actually quite... Um, important and unique and it's kind of good to talk about them so yeah that's kind of how I see it
1: yeah it's mad that the regional connection it's good the two artists that you just brought up they're like Huss he's I, I honestly have never seen anything like it like the connection he has on the ground to people to the point where he was like the size of him I remember seeing like a viral video of people dancing to one of his tunes and it was I don't even think it was on Spotify mm. and it's like a thousand people outside this house party which has been locked off I was like, "What is going on here?" And you see it now. We'll just come out. It might just tweet, "I've dropped an album," <laughs> and not talk about it again. It sells like a million records, whatever. But then again, with, with Bugsy, I remember when he was had the chip thing going on back and forth. And obviously, the media is so London focused, and especially like the online media, is so London focused. It's very hard to see like how it was being perceived on his side. And I remember Yas, I was listening to an interview with Yasmin Evans from she's from Manchester, and she was like. Like she's like, I can't make you guys understand like how like how big, how much of a hero he is. Like you think it's just like a one sided beef, like, oh chip's running him out of town, but it's not like it wasn't like that at all. And I think it is so easy for us to be caught up in wherever sort of is is creating the media noise, um, that we overlook the impact on the ground. Um to go back to what you were saying there, Angela, I don't I don't think it necessarily is us going about that going backwards as a world i think there's been an acceptance that okay if these certain artists aren't going to get the recognition that they deserve on a global scale then we're almost just going to just sort of take those artists back and champion them ourselves you know we can we can only elevate artists to a certain level um and then it doesn't really matter i i guess i think there's more of an appreciation now that it doesn't really matter if 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 anyone else cares outside of our area if anyone else you know is, is there to champion these artists, let's, let's get behind these artists ourselves, you know, and then what comes of that sort of comes of that. And I think at a time when you're, you're seeing Afrobeats and blow up and you're seeing people take so much pride in the music from the place they're from in the place that they are now, I think it's the perfect time for us
0: to sort of have that attitude. Just, just on the example that you used, I think any question that starts with Prince and Michael Jackson, I mean, they're aliens. (laughs) They're not black or (laughs) white. They are aliens, two of the greatest artists to ever walk the face of the earth. So I don't know where you even go from that.
3: I I, I wondered, actually, as, as I've listened to you all discussing, I'm wondering if my fears are actually wrapped up in kind of an almost kind of colonial mindset and kind of my fear is that because a lot of these black artists don't seem to be getting this mainstream white support that I'm kind of going, oh well why are they being pigeonholed? And it's like actually they're not they're being themselves. And I'm wondering actually if it's some work I need to do on myself because, you know, Stormzy, you know, I know he's missing at the minute, but you know, he's gone clear. You know, he is he is beloved. If you're headlining at Glastonbury, you've you've gone clear. And I'm actually and he's gone clear whilst being, you know, authentically South London um, and still has those edges on him and so I'm wondering actually if the issue is with my own mindset and this idea that I kind of might be carrying unwittingly that you haven't made it until you know you're co-signed by a white guy you know and that's maybe something I need to go away and work (laughs) work on on myself
2: so yeah but I think you know what's interesting you say that and obviously Heady one just got a uk number one album you know so i think it's really interesting for me because like i said being a huge grand fan been a huge fan of like uk music um and i think it's you know it's really important to to acknowledge how far we've come like heady one just got a uk number one like man's ad lib is one of my favorite ad libs ever do you know what i mean like tummy turn do you know what i mean like he's the guy is saying this on a track yeah and that's a reference to you know his time in prison and his time doing all this you know stuff and that's mainstream now so i think as much as you are right angelo i think yeah we've come an awful long way to a uh, you know not just looking at channel aka downloading you know music on the phone sending it on bluetooth yo you can turn on radio one now and listen to like you know heady one it's mad and and like during the day like you know you've you've we spoke of you know the Adenugers and what they've done. You know Skepta, will forgive him for sunglasses at night because you know he, he gave us that's not me in it. So you know what I mean. It's it's all part of part and parcel of it, and I think we're maturing, like the narratives around Black British experience, like because you can't stop them now because there's just so many of them and they're so accessible. I think yeah, that's that's the way.
1: You've got the final word there. Awesome. So yeah, I, I think that, that feeds on quite well to our next topic where and I was saying musically, a lot of artists over here are finding liberation and being able to make whatever they want to make. At the same time when uh, actors are still having to go to the US to, to get roles and pretend that they're Americans and just pass off the accent and uh yeah, and find the roles over there because up to now the stories here uh, the roles here aren't there for them and the stories here are of a very sort of narrow you know they fit within a very sort of narrow range um, so it's you know it, it's it's interesting when you see I think we've, we've spoken before again about, about Top Boy and people have the varying views on the kind of story that Top Boy is actually telling but anyone who watched the most recent series what you realised is that it was it's telling sort of deep stories about trauma about mental health about like the disintegration of sort of of, of black homes and black lives like the the gang violence is you know that's the backdrop but it's telling more sort of nuanced tales which you know it's it was good to see and i was very relieved to to see that and again i may destroy you we've discussed that previously it's sort of the first of its kind of a sort of really multi-layered story about black life and the black experience and a black homosexual experience and so many different sort of stories being told there, it's obviously she was a writer as well, it was it's I'm hoping now that we're sort of starting to move beyond into an area where we can tell sort of multiple tales
0: of you know black artistry. One thing I will say on that though is you say that it was black homosexuals that it was black I think I May Destroy You was one of the first things I've seen where you had a black majority cast aware you could have put white people in those roles, and it's almost exactly the same show. Mm. It was just regular stories. Uh, well,
1: that's the important. That is the crucial yeah. bit. That's sorry, yeah. That's that's a crucial
3: part to it. It, it, they just wear black. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the the difficulty is, and I don't know if you saw for it today. Was, um, and I don't know if it's from today, but it came up across my um, Twitter uh, feed about how um, Kemi Badenoch asked this. Just, just hilarious. It would be a funny question if it wasn't such a serious topic about why was it that Jeremy Corbyn was trying to sell this narrative that Britain was terrible for, and she was saying that kind of, uh, why, uh, is he so, uh, insistent on telling the bad side of Britain's history, and also why is he so interested in making it seem like people that look like her i.e. black people almost saints when that historically isn't necessarily always the case and and that's why i think when it comes to film and tv that it's been a lot slower than it has been in music because the thing is is i remember i remember garage turning into kind of esky turning into grime and they weren't looking to secure bags. They were, they were spitting in each other's houses. You could go down Stratford Rex and hear it. You know, and that, I'm telling you, no, I don't see too many record execs at Stratford Rex. But I think in film and TV, there's just such a paucity of storytelling. And you guys know one of my experiences. There is a TV series that has been resurrected where I was asked to write for it. And I sent some... Uh, to, to, to put in some samples and I sent some stuff in obviously I've been doing this impression of Black Boris and I didn't get it and then I look to see what stories they're telling and I go do you know what my Black Boris wouldn't have fit with the vision of the show because they're trying to tell a very narrow story and I think that when it comes to film in this and in TV in, in the UK we're still a little bit too much in Thrall of what you know, Chimamanda Adichie called the danger of a single story. It's either superhuman black people or super London black people, or we do these freaking because we got a guest, we do these freaking historical dramas where apparently black people didn't exist unless they were in chains, and that makes a mockery of the black history that I've learned, uh, you know, and about the civilization, civilizations that. I've learned about and I think that until you get different storytellers wanting to tell different stories we're going to keep getting the issue of young and old black actors having to go to America because at least they're willing to tell different stories you can Do look you at Lovecraft an... Country you can look at um, other stories that they've been telling and go hold on us um not Atlanta and
0: Insecure and go "Well, they're willing to tell different stories Do you think there's an element of like race slash poverty porn in there though because that's the way that I look at it we have all of these amazing stories that we can tell to other black people and to people in general but then at the same time I feel like the certain execs and certain parts of the media think that only one version of blackness which is this pain which often is the only thing that you see around black people within the industry within the media that's kind of like poverty porn for the broader audience that want to see what the black experience looks like because they don't live that We can have a little look, but we don't need to touch it. It's kind of like, ooh, we're we're watching it from the safety of our own homes. If it's just two black people engaged in a regular romance, a regular love story, I think maybe there's some kind of perception that that's not what people are really intrigued by. And when I say people, I obviously mean the broader mass market and white people.
3: So let me ask you, why why did the film Widows flop? Widows is one of the best films I've ever seen. Why did Widows flop? You know, and and I, Viola Davis kind of talks about she wanted to do that film because it wasn't a black film; it was a, it was a good film. But the the just that I cannot think of why that film flopped, except that it's one of the few films that I've seen where there are people of color, black people, who are just doing things. They are just doing things, and I think we also and I also need to step out of my bubble. And I want to kind of throw this out to all of you because I think that, because, you know, we're all relatively progressive and we, you know, we follow lots of black women on Twitter. So we kind of feel that the world is changing. But, you know, the two most complained about things this year have been a group that dances and a black guy just telling jokes. And it's like, you can't, on the one hand, be like, why aren't there different stories being told? And on the other hand, recognize that when black people step outside a narrowly defined box, there's huge complaints from swathes of people. And I'm just wondering if actually the the, the question that's being asked actually reveals the level that we're sitting within our own bubbles. I don't know. <laughs> I want to throw that out to... to we really have to got a
1: screenwriter. There. We've got a screenwriter on yeah. the line.
5: Yeah, and what I was actually going to say is I think it's much more complex than just who the audience is. Um, and cause when you think about a film and the film industry, um, it is a complex industry in and of itself. You have writers, directors, talent, but you also have producers and the financiers, you have the studios, um, even things like taxes and where the film is going to be shot. Um, it's a massive industry and a big beast to take on, I think. Um, And it's something that America has had a lock on for so long that to me, it makes sense that if you are a black actor or a black talent within the film industry, then you would gravitate towards the US because that's where the infrastructure is for film. Um, And then that's where the money is too. So. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that there is an abundance of quality films coming out of the US, but they have the budgets for it and they already have the the history there of being you know, the leaders of Hollywood. Um, I do think where we might see some change or see that start to evolve, particularly in the UK, is through television because that is where I think across Maybe my uh, impression is incorrect, but I see, I see what's happening in television as similar as to what has happened with the music industry um, in terms of comparing the US to the UK, how British music has really started to evolve in its own way and there's unique British genres, which it sounds like you guys have already talked about this, grime, garage, um, in the last episode, you know, we talked about bass driven music and and electronic music and that's something that must have started you know small small within the culture um, you know the sound system culture and it grew and it was uniquely british and so you could get the whole british population behind this new british uk art form and i see this kind of happening in tv too where instead of going to the us to look for audiences there are more UK shows that are starting here. And some of them do get, you know, picked up by a US studio and taken abroad to the US to be recreated in the US fashion. But at least those shows are starting to be created here in the UK. Um, and I think with I think you'll just see that start to expand more because people are getting, I think, fatigued with the homogeny that you see on TV, and particularly in movies. I mean, how many times do you complain, like, oh it's Spider-Man 10, but in a different way. Or like, 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 oh, like how many Marvel universes can we possibly explore? Or like how many remakes can we possibly explore? And people are just kind of, I think audiences are getting sick of it. And it's because we're not, there aren't as many new voices as there should be within Hollywood. But what i'm hoping is that people will get tired enough and creatives will get tired of that enough that they will start to create a film industry within the uk but i think knowing how many moving parts there are to creating a film it will take it'll take some time it'll take time
1: so i've got a bit of insight um yeah a a friend of mine is involved with setting up loads of studio lots because the rise of streaming and the rise of Netflix has meant that there's so many more production studios needed now because pretty much Marvel and Disney own the place where they do Harry Potter. So they're trying to turn loads of different places into loads of new studios opening up and you see now Netflix are investing eight billion a year into new content. So you'd, you know, you'd hope you can hive off some of that cash and get some of those stories made. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I had, to, I had to just remind myself, Angelo, when you, when you mentioned Widows, because I, 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 I thought I'd seen it. And I thought, this can't be the film he's talking about. And it was, because um, Steve McQueen was talking about it the other day, about, you know, sort of how it wasn't... It, it, it's, it's possibly, it was framed in the wrong way as a film as as a as a black story when he's not like well it's just you know it's, it's a crime story um, and thankfully he's still got 12 years of slave in his back pocket and he's going to be able to keep making films and you know he's not going to get cut off there
4: I think it's interesting like I definitely agree in that uh, I think the infrastructure for a long time was the problem uh, I interviewed a guy Arian Bacare last last month and he's a black actor from from London and he's in his early early 40s now and he kind of did the he's in the show his dark materials if anyone's seen that um and uh he he was yeah he did the whole route like grew up in the 80s did theater school did dance school did all of that uh really prestigious performed in really prestigious plays and stuff like that and then he was telling me that when he was about to leave i think it was the royal shakespeare company everyone was telling him you're going to be a big star like you look how many uh, you're so qualified you can sing act dance um, write you can direct all of this stuff and then he said it just didn't happen and he said he noticed that although he was ready as a black actor there were wasn't enough black uh, screenwriters there wasn't enough black producers there wasn't enough black directors who to produce the stories that um, would put him in a role that wasn't something that was like a slave role or something like that and he said that he felt that was a big problem and a big difference between uh here and america at the time and then eventually he said although he did really want to stay in the uk he went to america at some point and then that's when he managed to get his big break and he said but he'd ideally have wanted that to be in the uk but he said he just didn't think the uk was ready for it but i think that is starting to change now i think where even just people i know who i see who are starting to make inroads into those like what traditionally i guess been more closed off industries as like screenwriters or producers or directors and i think um I guess I think social media has a lot to do with it because you see somebody like Mo the Comedian who's now got shows on Channel 4 and all of this stuff. He started, not started, but he managed to amass a large audience on social media where people could see that there was actually like appetite for this kind of content to be consumed and i think even michaela cole she started doing she started with like a uh, spoken word and all of that kind of thing before she crossed over and i think even and when you go to top boy you see like michael ward was the same like he was on social media that's how he got his role rap man with blue story started as a, a video series on SBTV, and just the popularity of that meant that he couldn't necessarily be ignored anymore And so I think things are starting to change slowly and I think it will just probably take longer because I think, as was mentioned earlier, with music, you can kind of create your own music industry and that can kind of cross over organically where I think with film, yeah, there's a lot, I think seems to be a lot more traditional in that there are so many different uh, hoops you have to jump through if you wanna actually put a production together. But I think, yeah, it's good to see the array of stories that we're starting to see. And I think I May Destroy You was a big thing in that. I think um, Enterprise, um i'm not sure if anyone's seen that that's like i've loved that show and i think that's another great example of it's just about two guys from south london starting a business and they just happen to be black um and so i think we're starting to see more of that and then i think it's also then on us as like the audience to make sure we are consuming these shows when they when they come out if you know what i mean because um i do see that sometimes where people want the diversity of shows but then haven't Maybe it partly is a press thing, maybe where they aren't aware of the certain shows that are out there, but I think once we are aware, I think it's good for us to make sure that we are like watching them and supporting them because I think that helps um, future shows and future seasons get kind of commissioned in the long run.
0: And be vocal about it as well. Another good thing about social media, isn't it? There could be a show that back in the day, only a tiny segment of the population watches, but now it'll be trending number one in the UK because there's so many of us on there that are tweeting about it, uh, sharing uh, texts and stories about it as well. So be vocal
1: with your support i was just gonna say it's what i'm hopeful is the sort of rise in online videography and the rise of grm daily and the rise of sb tv has given given rise to a whole new range of videographers and the key is for them to know that you don't have to stop there that can be your starting point you've got someone like like daps for instance we've been focusing on films daps was he He was a video for himself he wanted to do music editing he couldn't get a he couldn't find an artist to let him do a song so he made his own song up he called it Ian Wright yeah. Yeah. and that sort of popped off and even then he had to sort of took himself off to America and now he's doing it for sort of Migos all the biggest artists in America and he's the directing that and he directed a video for um it was I can't remember what soundtrack it was but it was, had swiss beats in it and it had uh Forrest Whitaker in it and he's and suddenly he's on sets with them and then so your next step is okay i'm gonna do short film oh yeah my next step is i'm gonna do movies so it's just i i think it's it's very because we're we're sort of in that still that first wave of we're doing videos online we're still it's still young i just want people to know that it doesn't have to stop there and hopefully we'll see them start to
3: sort of spread outwards you know
0: but we all have a part to play
3: absolutely absolutely so i was going to say that um one of the things that I've struggled with were, so I'm currently working to a deadline. I've just um, reviewed three pieces of theater from Traverse theater um, uh, on a project called tools for change. And I've really struggled with the, um, the, the tagline. It says tools for change was created to offer creative material to encourage debate, galvanize action and raise debate on racism and injustice. And, like it's great that it's got people of color there's a muslim woman that's uh, part of it there's a there's a black woman uh who's got her own um piece of drama but it's like what debate is left to have what what, what how much more galvanizing do we need to have and it, and i the thing is i don't want to kind of trash it because the theater that i've got to see is ...really interesting and powerful theatre... ...and um, there's one piece... ...and I do want to... ...even though I'm going to review it... ...I do want to kind of... ...just say... The, um, ...this theatre maker's name now... Um, Suhaima Manzor Khan's... Uh, ...piece... Um, Two Sides of the Same Coin... ...is, is it a really... ...impressive piece... Oh, ...sorry a coin in someone else... ...a coin in somebody else's pocket... Um, ...it's a really impressive piece... ...but it's like... ...it saddens me that she's got a commission to explore the experience of being asked to write as a Muslim woman. It's like, there's no debate that's left to be had. And if, if this is, and like, it's great that you're kind of giving her that position, that space. But at the same time, if, uh, if that's all that's left, then we've got an issue because it's like, I don't need to have a debate about the, how serious racism is. Um, I need to hear more stories. I just, I just want to hear a story about like a, a black dentist and what his day or what their day is like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I'll watch the shit out of that show. Like I don't need anything else. But maybe that's just me.
1: Well, I mean, we we could never, ever, ever have um, a black version of Seinfeld.
3: No, <laughs> y- and right. even though
1: it, to me it'd be the best thing in the world because days for black people when nothing happened, (laughs) 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 massive amounts of things happen. Uh, It wouldn't be believable. This Mm -hmm. is the thing, I don't think people, you couldn't sell that in and be like, well,
0: this couldn't even,
1: this couldn't possibly happen.
0: When I tell my friends about my trips to the barber, which is just a regular everyday occurrence for most white people and how barbers routinely leave me with half my hair cut to go and run some kind of errand <laughs> 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 this is something that's so normal for a lot of black it's people mad. but to white people it would just be yeah I went to the bar nothing significant happened that's <laughs> bro as Honestly, we all
2: know as we all know I'm follically challenged innit bro you haven't stepped in a in years man <laughs> well nah that's the jokes thing I still go and I pay for the trim anyway just cause you know what I mean the experience go see my guy Kingsley go Once see people in there do you know what I mean yep. and like people don't understand like why we do that in it like one of my friends was like why why don't you just shave your own head i was like i do most of the time but like every now and then i'll you know i mean i'll, I'll go and pay 20 quid just to go sit in a barber shop for a couple of hours you know what i mean like it's mm. it's different and i think that's it's funny because is it um the Desmonds is on yeah. um is it on netflix now i think it's on bbc um, it's on, I- on I play, bbc right? and there's the real mccoy i think's on is out as well mm. and it's really interesting because growing up I remember watching these programs like intermittently and like but the memories I have of these shows are so vivid which means surely they must have connected right and I think it comes back to a point we've made probably every every episode every episode ever which is about like why representation is important do you know what I mean and why look the dentist doesn't have to be black but if he is black that's doing something else for an audience that maybe the editors and the producers and the people that sign this off aren't realising, right? And I think, you know, you mentioned um, Ariyon Bakar and he's just, he's one of my favourite, like when he, uh, his role in His Dark Materials, one of my favourite books growing up, like, I'm not looking at him going, oh, he's black as hell, isn't he? You know what I mean? I'm looking at him, I'm going, he's evil as hell. Like the way he's mm. manifesting this character is is beautiful. Like he's he's doing the job that he's meant to do. And I think that's what we're getting to now. Like once we have more people in those roles, so it's like, oh yeah, black people can be dentists, black people can be midwives, black people can work in an office. Like maybe then we'll get like the next step to which is where I think we are all like, in it, in our circles. Like, yeah, we know there's this rich, diverse set of black stories. Just come on, like, come on, like elevate the conversation and move it that one step further.
5: And I think that's where TV is the best tool to really do that because, um, especially if it's a, something like a TV sitcom, that's where you do see everyday people just doing everyday things. It's a very digestible format um, and it's on frequently. So it's something that people can watch, you know, during the daytime. That's, I mean, I know we say like, you'd never have a black Seinfeld, but I mean, we have Fresh prints and we had uh, like, the Cosby show and not that I really my wife and kids go there right now my wife and kids my yeah. wife and kids so that so it does exist and I do think tv is the perfect platform for it um so maybe that's where the efforts need to be focused is just really focusing on getting more black sitcoms regular television shows um created
0: it's character developed written
5: written and created and developed by
0: Black people, though. If you've got a season, if you've got several seasons, you've got more chance to develop a character beyond them just being a black character. Yeah. And, and yeah. find out and understand that person as a whole, rather than just this one slight segment of them. You can
1: even change one of the characters so she's a bit less black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Viv. The real Aunt <laughs> uh, First things first, and peace, Aunt Viv. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, what I'd like to do actually is just follow this on. I think we haven't got that much time left um just to say you know we we're, we're talking there about we need more people in these roles in these sitcoms, we need more black sitcoms. What's crucial there, Alana what you said at the end, is written by black people because sometimes um it's better to say no, it's better <laughs> to not have um <laughs> these roles and take on some of these roles that that are created because it doesn't. One, it might not look good. Two, it might not be where you want to be pigeonholed in your career. Um we mentioned it before and we mentioned him today. Um Kayote Uwumi with with Role Safe, he obviously created that that persona, he created that uh Hood documentary himself. Um, I think it was with helping another guy as well. Um but to him, once it had gone to BBC and they'd sort of done the one series, it was, it was clear that it wasn't what he wanted it to be. And he didn't want to also be stuck as that particular person for the rest of his days. And the manoeuvres he made as an individual, which are quite tough. I mean, when you've, when you've got a contract from BBC and everyone knows who you are, it can't be easy to walk away from that when you've worked your whole life getting towards that. But in keeping his integrity, he's managed to he's freed himself now to be to be that much bigger. And I think we've seen um, previously with, with Big Shaq again in the in the documentary, Mo's documentary the other day. He was saying it's with him. Big Shaq is a part of him now forever. So you've just sort of got to be prepared that if, if you really sort of lean into into these roles, into some of these personas, into some of these characters, you better be prepared for that to be with you. Forever. That, that sounds like a threat.
0: issue that I've, that I've looked at <laughs> is um, the representation that people have. And I think the role that black people that have come before have in terms of actually mentoring those that are coming through now. Because a lot of these, I think the example was used on that Black, British and Funny um, documentary around, Nate, please stop breathing in that mic, man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I'll, move uh, I'll, right. I'll move it, I'll move it, I'll move it, I'll
2: move it. Yeah,
0: in, in the Black, British and Funny documentary, um, there was one comedian, I can't remember who it was, that talked about when you'll see a white comedian go on like Mock the Week or go on another kind of panel show and then within a year, boom, they've got their own DVD coming out at Christmas. They've got this, that and the other. And that's because they've been pushed, they've had the right representatives, they've had the right mentors, they've had the right agents, etc. I think now there needs to be a responsibility on those that have started to get some success to make sure that they're bringing the others with them through as well and giving them the right kind of point of saying... This might bring you a bag today. This might look great for your year-end in terms of what your what your accounts are going to look like. But in terms of the long-term vision and long-term plan, this isn't going to be what's best suited for you. So I think if we can start to see more of that in the industry, more of that mentorship, and I think Black, British and Funny was a good example of that. Having some comedians together in a room that are at very different parts of their career and then actually just imparting wisdom and knowledge, that's how you will start to see more of the right, more of the correct career decisions being made rather than the... today decisions being made
1: it's also got moan friends off the back of that i noticed he's gotten that there's there's a show with them all on yeah which i thought was dope that's wicked yeah
5: um something that you touched on dom which i think is key to this is having that clarity of vision i feel like when you have a clarity of vision of where you who you are who you are as an artist where you want your artistry to go then it's easy to Say no to opportunities that come your way that don't directly support what that vision is, um, and I think sometimes you know being flexible is important, especially as you're you're starting out. But yeah, it's so important to have that that vision to keep you straight, um, to hold on to your integrity, and then when you do say no or you do step away from something, it it requires a great amount of courage, and I think not only do people within the industry have to hold other up and coming artists to being accountable to their own vision and who they are but for the consumer um you know the general public we also need to support people when they step away from something that maybe we you know enjoyed uh when they're going in into a different direction i think Yeah, I I just think it's important that we support.
4: twice. (laughs)
5: Exactly, exactly. And it's like, we just need to appreciate it for what it was and when it was and respect when somebody says no.
0: Yeah, I think as well on that, it's hard to have a vision if your meme or your your short went viral overnight. So it's when something like that happens, it's a mix, it's a very fine balance of taking advantage of that instant fame, but then also knowing when to step back Gather your thoughts, gather your product, and then decide what the next step is because th- things become stale overnight nowadays.
1: I completely forgot about Shadrach and the Mandem when until I watched it. Exactly. Yeah, oh yeah. my goodness. My goodness. goodness. That guy, Nick Marston. I, he, he, so Marston. Marston Yeah. He doesn't seem to be doing as much stuff, and I don't know what he's doing, but when he's, yeah, his stuff on Instagram was super funny. But yeah, it was interesting to see, like, the, well, to just to contemplate the psychological side of it is when something does jump off and then you're constantly like, ah, I don't know what to do here. So you're then just chasing it. And it's, it's mm. yeah, yeah. Well with him, it it was almost the reverse. He he went away from it. He's he, resolutely to the point where I was like, mate, what are you doing? You're like, everyone like you've got millions and millions of views whenever you want to do it and stubbornness and possibly some hard-headedness meant that he didn't quite cashing as he should have done, but I I respect the person to sort of make those decisions and st- stay true to whatever it is that you want to do. He didn't really want to be, obviously he didn't want to be a YouTuber, because if he did, you'd have been out there doing videos every day, smiling with people, but that wasn't, what, that wasn't what he wanted to be about. Yeah, guys, we've come to the end of the topics, but, you know, if anyone else has got anything else to say, we're in the studio here, so
0: want to take advantage of these uh sonics
1: salubrious surroundings <laughs>
2: salubrious acoustics mm. now i guess just one question i had was obviously Neef, with the work you do um it's very much centered around the black experience and as we said um that's not always easy to communicate to people outside of you know the people that live it um so i was just really really curious to some of the what are some of the hardest decisions you've had to make around work and you know have you had that debate with yourself when going into you know commissions or bits of work
4: yeah I think yeah the interesting thing I think is uh approaching a lot of work and especially in journalism and music and culture journalism is that in most cases if it I guess if it was from if I was white I think you're walking into a a situation where the editor has as much expertise on the topic as you do whereas I think in my case, I think a lot of the times I'm walking into it from a case where the editors or whoever I'm working with may be clued up musically, but culturally, they may be kind of unawares of some of the nuances or why certain things are important and that kind of thing. So it's like, I guess does weigh in my head is that maybe you don't have that safety net as much as I would have done if I was talking about a completely different product uh, um, topic that wasn't to do with anything to do with, I guess, blackness or uh yeah those kind of themes and I think that's something that does stick with me is that I guess it's just to be cautious about uh making sure I'm representing certain things properly and making sure I've like kind of researched properly and fact checked properly because I realized that yeah I've kind of been brought in as the person who knows about this scene and maybe the person who's editing my work doesn't know as much uh in certain in certain contexts and stuff like that so that's something I've kind of been really aware of but um, in terms of I've kind of really just uh kind of yeah just kind of taking it my stride i haven't had too many uh, there's definitely stuff where i've had to turn down yeah 100 percent. i think that's uh that's been a big thing and explaining to people why uh, the kind of way they've laid something out isn't made isn't maybe right for the audience they're looking to um speak to and why there's yeah why things are a lot complicated than a lot more complicated or complex and what they're presenting so i think that's definitely been a big thing and also it's like um yeah i think it's that thing of trying to what I was saying before of not being defined by the racism aspect of it and that extends into not being defined by you quickly recognize the certain set of stereotypes that I guess uh some white audiences may have about black people and how that then feeds into the kind of narratives that are going to be portrayed so a lot of it is like having the I guess the boldness to say yeah this idea that's kind of been presented isn't actually true or isn't and I've had a few a lot of few instances of that like kind of behind the scenes of stuff where I guess people have asked me to why don't you mention this or mention that I'm like yeah that it's not really a thing like I think it's more of a like a, an <laughs> assumption so I've had a, a few of those conversations and I think that's where a lot of black writers can find it tough because um yeah you are in a space where you're visibly by yourself and it can be hard especially at the start of your career to I guess challenge people who are seniors in your field if that makes sense and I think that's where um yeah there's a kind of a lot of tensions do come in and I can see a few things do go wrong there so I think it's yeah but then really I think that's just about trusting yourself and saying yeah like I actually do know what's what in this space and so having I guess the conviction to kind of push back on certain things and most of the time people are, are receptive to it so i think that's the also thing like you speaking up about it doesn't signal like the severing of a relationship with someone or whatever or, or with an editor it's like usually me met quite well
1: yeah i mean that's the comfort as well of seeing the growth of mags like trench which obviously Joe's patson came out of that and from complex and seeing oh outlets like that are only going to help as they build up their own writers then those writers go elsewhere and become editors elsewhere and hopefully it just increases the knowledge base so you're not asked to do stupid things because not everyone's gonna be as comfortable as you in standing by what they believe in. And then that's how you get these situations where it's something gets out that shouldn't have been getting out, or shouldn't shouldn't have been the article on Twitter, and someone's asking a stupidness of Stormzy or and ultimately it, it undermines what should have been a great bit of exposure for the artist. So yeah, the, the growth of sort of particularly sort of print media, but online media and in terms of black outlets is, yeah, it's definitely a positive thing.
3: So Neef, one of the questions that I wanted to ask was how did you kind of go about building your career and specifically um, so many artists have to kind of have second jobs? When did you kind of get to a place where you were like, I can make this thing my main thing? was there a specific mm. kind of crossover piece that you did that got you there
4: Yeah I think um I was definitely yeah in that phase of having second jobs or freelancing or working for very little money at the start of my uh, at the start of my career I think a lot of people go through that um and I think when we did the IG live I was kind of saying to Dan how I came up through like Link Up TV and SBTV, and I was able to like kind of gain a lot of experience there. and kind of cut my teeth there, which mm. equipped me with skills to be able to then go to further places and start uh, pitching and um, asking for commissions there. But I think uh, where I kind of crossed over to doing this full time was I was working at a marketing agency, and then I left there because I knew that I wanted to write, but I wasn't getting to write. And then I left there, kind of managed to finagle a job at the MoBo Awards for the 20th mobile was in Leeds, which is really random. And then, um, from there, um, started just putting pieces online and freelance for places. And my idea was always like, if I put out quality work, then, um, something will stick and something will come back to me. So I was kind of, that was the intention I had. This was about four years ago. And so I just went into it with that kind of energy and then was able to get a job at SBTV. And then from there, I, left that job again yeah I had like this really bad habit of just yeah getting jobs and just like huh, this <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um that's when I started freelancing and that was about three years ago and definitely the first year of freelancing was tough but I think when I managed to build up like a bit of a portfolio for myself that made things easier and then I think the when I started to build a body of work I could then go to people and say look I have like an expertise knowledge in this one thing and I've kind of been speaking about it repetitively and I think that's when it started to kind of kind of change in my favor. Um, So I don't think there was one uh, necessary piece. I think now it's like, it was like a lot of smaller steps that led up to sort of the bigger steps. And then um, that's kind of how that journey has been, I think. And then every now and then you get like a really big piece that helps like with exposure and stuff like that. But then even after that be again, more small steps, more small steps that have kind of built up to being able to do like the array things that do is like a full-time thing.
5: Did you um, did you always know that you wanted to focus on culture and specifically British culture and telling those stories?
4: Uh, yeah, I think so. Quite early on, I think I was like a big reader growing up and a big reader, especially when in, in, in like my early, like late teens, early twenties of like a lot of hip hop literature and stuff like that. And I'd read all these books, like Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And all of these different books about like the history of hip hop and stuff like that. And we just always think it would just be sick to read something like this about the UK and so that was always my focus um as I was going into the industry. And yeah, and I always just had this thing of this music that I'm listening to just felt like so so rich, so like meaningful, like so layered with stories and I just felt like I wanted to kind of yeah, a interview those artists about those stories and ask them about that, but also like kind of explain why those stories mean so much to me. So I think it started as a passion thing. But definitely with a uh I always kind of had that focus on British artists and then also outside of London that was a big focus of me of mine to really just see what life was like in other regions of the country and I think yeah by I think by kind of putting that intention out there like a lot of work would come back to me that en- enabled me to kind of do that kind of thing but yeah it was definitely um yeah definitely really interested and still I'm interested in exploring like yeah the complexities complexities of that in this country
1: specifically
0: Alana I love that you called it British culture as well because people over here will call it black British culture, but grime is British culture. Mm. It's British culture.
1: I'm a bit annoyed earlier on, Note that you didn't reference the Bad Boy Chiller Crew.
2: <laughs> 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 They're
1: from your town. They're from your town. No, I mean, we're all <laughs> laughing, and I did exactly the same thing. And then I just wheeled Bam. Yeah, I wheeled it up a couple of times. It's like, you know what? And now I'm looking out for him. I I, I, I'm, I'm behind that 100%. It, 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 t- it took it took a few listens because you're used to, so it's where we're from. So you used to just listen to like, you know what? It's like it's it's just like Jay Z, me minute.
0: You just like that. Any <laughs> 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 really worse than somebody else baseline tracks Absolutely bigger, not. No, but yeah,
1: they really, it, but, yeah. it's, but the production listen. and everything like the way it's just it, They're just good songs. They're just mm. those boys are gonna come now. So
2: look, baseline culture, what it did to Yorkshire. For that five to ten years, yeah, needs to go down. Someone needs to study that, yeah, because it makes no sense. It makes no, even like Dom, your bro, like he's he's part of the generation that has kind of like picked it up, right? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? From DJQ and Bur, um, Burger Boy, four by four remixes on the school bus to now you've got full blown like baseline nights and baseline kind of culture. Bro, they
0: call that they call that old school. Is it? Is that <laughs> old school now is it? Is it?
2: Is it? Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. But no, I think that's it. Like growing up, like say growing up in Bradford, there wasn't many local artists and like look like Luna C was the first one. Cause obviously he burst onto like the battle rap scene. And then like, I remember just reading like, well, doing what Dan advises against, you know, reading the YouTube comments, mm-hmm. um, and the amount of abuse he'd get like just for how he sounded, and i'm I'm there like, oh I, I kind of sound like that. what's that about like come on, but now I think you know you see artists emerging, and there's less of that talk now, there's less of a demand for them to be from a certain area to you know sound a certain way, so you need
0: yeah. your h's and your Ms,
2: man you need yeah. them
4: no, and I think we even seem like millions I think mm. listen to these artists. I think it's so interesting in that having a different accent means you can rhyme different words yeah. that someone from another region can't, like, you hear that with millions all the time. Like certain words he rhymes is like he only he can say that. Like a storm zero chip can't put those two words together because your voice doesn't bend in in that way. And I think I've always kind of saw it as like the I remember back in the day you'd see like Americans would talk about British rappers and be like, Oh like this accent, I can't get over it and that kind of thing. So for me I was like, why would I then do the same to someone in like our own country where we know what that feeling is like when we're like, music, uh, British music is going out to other places in the rest of the world. Um, so I think it's been good to see that. Yeah, like now I think people talk about accents less and less to the point where they're not even necessarily um, a thing in certain in certain
0: instances. Yeah. I think as well, you use the US example, think about like the 96 Source Awards, the, the New York scene versus Atlanta. exactly atlanta the south's got something to say man it's got something to say and it's exactly the same in this country the north's got something to say now
5: mm-hmm. you also can't look to americans to decipher accents because the first time i played dizzy rascal for a group of friends they thought he was french so
1: all <laughs> <laughs> right guys we're gonna lock this up because we've got to go home we gotta go home uh i want to say thanks to everyone first of all thanks to you angelo
3: Hey, thanks for having us. Uh, thank you. Big up, Neef. Really appreciate it. Like, really enjoyed having you on. Thank you.
4: No, thank you guys for having me.
1: Thank you, Nate.
2: Thank you very much, Dan. And yeah, thank you, Neef. Like I said, being a big fan of, I guess I was a fan of your work before I knew who you were, you know, reading the articles and doing that. So great to have you on. Just, you know, leveling a, a great conversation. Thank you, Alana.
5: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Neef. It was short and sweet, our introduction, but hopefully we see more of you.
1: Late bid for MVP there, Lana. I'd have to say you came in hard at the end when we finally let you speak.
5: I go hard in the paint. What do I Play say? Playoff Rondo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and yeah, cheers. Cheers, Dom.
0: Yeah, yeah, always a pleasure.
1: And everyone else has said it already. Thanks, bro. <laughs> um, Dropping knowledge bombs, but mate, great to have you. Anytime you want to come back. Give me a shout. Anytime you've got anything to say, anytime you wanna publicize the book, hopefully we're gonna pop and we'll actually be able to build you <laughs> build you up. But no, great. Thanks everyone. Great episode. And we out. Peace.